Thank you both very much. Exciting things happening in our youth ministry. Once again, I want to emphasize that there will be all, all your questions answered for camp following the morning service. They can even sign you up during that. Um, excited that uh, Calvin graduated. You know, we don't really have a lot of markers in our society for when a child becomes an adult, do we? You know, you have, you know, getting your license. You can get that at like 14, so that's not, you're not. It's kind of weird how we're like, yes, you can have a rolling death machine, but you're not an adult. Um, we have, you know, 18, 21, all these things. But probably one of the most significant ones is graduating from high school and going on into whatever you would have after that. It's too bad we don't really have an official one, because we should. When are you a man? When are you a woman? I thought about this morning, I was going to pull up uh, for Calvin the official kind of um, oath that knights used to take, and I think there's a part in there where you smack the person, which would have been fun, but I decided not to. I let uh, our youth ministers handle that. Thank you both very much. That's tonight. That's tonight? All right, that sounds good. Um, so you remember it. Anyway, um, with that, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our kids to Children's Church. Please line up at the back with Pastor Curtis and Pastor Alyssa. chapter 25, we're going to read from verse 24 to 30. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming... I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to some to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be get more will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Becca. This is the word of God. We are on the last two of the seven deadly sins. I have preached about wrath, greed, lust, envy, and gluttony. Once again, I'd like to remind you the point of this series. The point of this series is not to identify sin. But we all know what sin is. We have many lists in the Bible. It's not for us to feel bad about sin, but it's for us to have a godly conviction of sin. Ultimately, it is for your joy. You sin. That statement right there, right? It's universal. I don't care how long you've been a believer. Time to time, you still sin. You still have a sinful nature. We are what Martin Luther said called simo justus imprecator. Simultaneously justified and sinners. What it, what it means specifically is that we are justified before God, yet we still have an ability toward sin. So what do we do with this? Well, we cast out. We realize sin for what it is, especially as believers. It is our enemy. Now there has been a now that there's been a movie about this, I, I feel like I can talk about the superhero named Shazam without you realizing how incredibly nerdy I really am. Um, so there's the movie Shazam. And in the movie and in the comic books, one of Shazam's uh, great enemies are the seven deadly sins. Now, before DC Comics, I'm going to get a little bit of it anyway. Before DC Comics bought um, Captain Marvel and bought Fawcett City Comics, uh, Shazam was actually published, and it was actually called Captain Marvel. And to avoid another lawsuit, he's now Shazam. Um, so anyway, Captain Marvel, um, his enemies weren't called the Seven Deadly Sins, but the Seven Deadly 
enemies of men. It was a comic book for children, so I guess they felt like if they changed that, that would make a difference. But I think that's an apt name for sin. It is your enemy. It is your enemy. Like all terrible enemies, it appears like a friend to take us off guard. It whispers to us that in it has we will find prop, we will find happiness, joy, we will find our good times. But what it leaves is a ruined mess. In this series, what I want, what I've been doing is I've been looking to the scriptures to do exactly what they are intended to do. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you know what all of those have in common? Is that they're not fun at the time. Now we have a teacher in the audience, so no, 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 uh, no slight towards you, but kids at the time when they are learning, it's not always pleasurable, no matter how awesome of a teacher you have. Mr. Dow is an awesome, awesome teacher. I'm sure he makes it tons of fun. But you know what all these have in common? It's a very inconvenient truth. It's this. You don't already have it all put together. You don't already know. You know the hardest thing is somebody who is unteachable. Somebody who is uncoachable. Coaches will tell you all the time, uncoachable children become unemployable adults. A person can have all the natural ability in the world, but if they're not teachable, if they're not coachable, it doesn't matter. So one of the things that Scripture does in its, in its endeavor to lead us into all truth is it reveals to us that we do not have it all to put together. We are either at war with these enemies or we've surrendered to them. What does it look like for us and these enemies? Well, it's the Holy Spirit pointing out that we have surrendered to one of these. And it's not a great feeling because it tells us that we are wrong. And that's probably one of the most... If we're talking about modern day sins, seven deadly sins, telling someone they're wrong has to be up there. It's probably like number one, right? Telling people you're wrong. You're never going to grow though unless you realize you're wrong. I think of great things, great things the Holy Spirit has done in my life. They have started with somebody confronting me and me getting furious at them. Now other people maybe think that they have they need to fill in for the Holy Spirit and they, they, they find something completely different. But other people just have a gentle word and I'm like upset, then I have to think about why am I so upset? Because it's hitting somewhere home. It's hitting something I'm dealing with. And then the Holy Spirit very gently corrects that in my life. So far we have gone over wrath, greed, lust, envy, gluttony. Today, for this sin, I have a video to introduce it. Whenever you're ready. Anyone can be anything. Flash, flash, hundred yard dash. Buddy, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Sloth, laziness, idleness. When I was growing up, especially early on in my childhood, the heroes of our culture were slackers. If you remember in Back to the Future, Marty McFly's teacher calls him a slacker, and your dad was a slacker. Um, when I was growing up, other people that were just, you know, influential was Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan, the wild stallions from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, who believed that um, Julius Caesar was a salad dressing dude. Yet Kurt Cobain who may have been a hard worker who knew because he always looked like he had just woken up in the clothes that he was wearing the previous day. 
The slacker was admired. The slacker was the hero. They didn't care about anything. They had an appearance of just waking up. While that has gone away, what has taken its place is an intellectual slacker, a spiritual slacker. It's the person who wants to seem smart, spiritual, active, but don't want to do any work towards that. They want to be seen as smart. They want to be seen as spiritual. Thomas Aquinas in Summa Theologica said that sloth was sorrow about spiritual good. If you remember, St. Thomas Aquinas about envy said it is sorrow about someone else's good. This is sorrow at spiritual good. Like you know what you should be doing, but you don't want to do it. That almost makes you upset. Well, I shouldn't have to do those things. I'm spiritual, don't you get it? It is an evil in its effect. If so, it so oppresses men as to draw them away entirely from good deeds. I like how he puts that. It's an oppression that draws people away from good deeds. Like you were made for these good deeds before the foundation of the world. God prepared. So what sloth does is it robs you. But we don't see it like it's robbing us. We don't want to do it in the first place. It's like going to the gym, right? You dread it. You go over there, you change, but then you finally get on the treadmill and you're like, this isn't so bad. I think about like uh, training for this marathon. And um, I do my, when I, every time I do the early long runs, um, I get back and I am so winded. In fact, after I did my 14 mile. So I'll be running 26.2 on Sunday, next Sunday. So I did 14 miles and I come back home. And the first time in my life, after any physical exercise, I did this thing. And sorry, it's going to gross you up out a little bit, but I threw up twice. I do not like doing that. I do everything in my power not to have that. And I remember thinking, it's like, how am I going to do 12 more miles? Because nothing, but you know something? I'll run that 26 and I'll feel just fantastic afterwards because I've accomplished something that God had put on my heart as well. When I think of the things in my life, not pleasant at the time, but it produces something amazing. From an older catechism, sloth goes so far as to refuse joy from God and is repelled by goodness. The KJV Dictionary, King James Version of the Bible Dictionary, first definition is slowness, tardiness. They take it from the verse, I abhor this, um, this sloth and tricks of Rome. De- decla- um, declination to action or labor, sluggishness, laziness, idleness. They change their course to pleasure, ease, and sloth. Sloth, like rust, consumes faster than labor wears. Three, an animal, so-called from its remarkable slowness of its motions. Found in South America, it is said that its greatest speed seldom exceeds three yards an hour. It feeds on vegetables and other things. Um, what I thought was funny about that one, so it's a King James Version of the Bible Dictionary. So I'm wondering what verse they took that from, since that wasn't discovered at the time. The Bible also includes in Proverbs, there's much to say about the slugger. In Bible college, I took a class in Hebrew wisdom and poetry, and uh, part of that was the Proverbs talking about the slugger. slugger. And um, one, one, okay, and I was kind of lazy in college. Anyway, um, I didn't go to class one, one day. And Becca and me had been dating at the time, so our teacher told her, you tell that boyfriend of yours he's a slugger. (laughs) Because I missed class one day. Proverb 26 describes a slugger as a person who invents excuses to get out of work. It gives them kind of, I mean, like, gives them quite a benefit of the doubt here because it says their excuses that there's a lion in the road. Can you imagine calling your boss in the morning like, Hey, I'd love to come in today, but there is a lion in the road. I, I just I just buffed the car, and I don't need lion marks on it. There's a lion in the road. That's, that's what Proverbs 26, as the sluggard says, that there's a lion in the road. They compulsively sleep in. They can barely feed themselves. It says that they put their hand in, in the pot, but they can't find the energy to bring it back out again. Verse 16 made me laugh, and it shook me, because it says this, The slugger is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So this was written 
thousands and thousands of years ago. But somehow, Solomon knew all about Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. I don't know how. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about if you're on there. So many experts in so many fields. I mean, I don't know how people have time for so many PhDs that they, 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 they can give a... You know, more they, they're wiser in their own eyes than someone who can than seven men who can answer sensibly. When speaking about sloth, many are quick to object that depression is not a sin and clinical depression is not a sin. Not really what I'm talking about today at all. If there's an imbalance in somebody that can be cured through diet and exercise and medication, really not what we're talking about. Or physical healing from the Lord. What I'm talking about today is when we decide that the cost of something is too dire, when in like Proverbs, we see ourselves as wise but never wanting to gain wisdom. We see ourselves as hardworking, but we never want to work. We deprive, deprive ourselves of the blessings of God, and more importantly, we are not loving God and loving others, as the commandment tells us. Why is being lazy wrong? That's a synonym for sloth, laziness. Why is being lazy wrong? Well, in, in Summa Theologica, that is actually what T Thomas Aquinas is referring to. That there was theologians and philosophers in that day who wanted to say, it was, it's not, that sloth was not, laziness was not wrong, because it's tied to sorrow. And so Thomas Aquinas says, it's sorrow, it's spiritual good, that's why it's wrong. Actually, this Friday, it was kind of funny, because I'm reading Summa Theologica uh, over, in the, uh, over in the coffee place, and then I go on, uh, on uh, Wikipedia just to see how they phrase things, and I hate Wikipedia because they phrase it better than I, they summarize it better than I could, so that was their summary, uh, but St. Thomas Aquinas' statements on sloth, they, they were right. You know, why is laziness wrong? We know in the natural world, depraved indifference is, 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 uh, is against the law. When you see somebody in incredible trouble and in desperate need, and for you to look the other way, you can be liable to the court. To see someone hurt and doing nothing is always morally objectionable. When I was early in my youth ministry, I was reading an article about at a high school prom, and uh, some uh, former students had come to this prom, and they did some awful things to one of the other students. And they summarized that a good 200 of those students walked by while it was happening and did nothing. Of course, the person who was doing that, evil, wrong, reprehensible. But I told our, I told our youth group kids, every kid who walked by and said nothing, did nothing, is wrong as well. It's cowardice and it's vicious. It's sloth of the highest degree. It hurts others. We tend to see our sin, this sin is only affecting the person committing it. But I bet every one of us has had to stay later at a job, work harder at a job, because somebody else was slacking. Perhaps many, if not all of us, have been on the other end. It doesn't just hurt us, it hurts those who depend on us. It's wasteful of God's most precious gift that he gives to us, other than salvation and spiritual blessings. This is common grace that God gives to every single person on the face of the earth. He gives you 8,760 of these a year. Whether you are born rich or poor, red, yellow, black, or white, if you are an Iowa fan or an Iowa State fan, you only get 8,760 of these. No more and no less. I'm, of course, talking about time. Sloth evaporates what God has made you the steward of. Furthermore, and worst of all, sloth is a violation of the two most important commandments. When Jesus asked, what is the most important commandment? He repeats something the Jewish people would have said daily, uh, weekly, if not daily, which is the Shema Yisrael from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. He said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You have heard the saying, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. American author Eli Wiesel explained in his 1986 article in the U.S. News and World Report, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. 
Indifference is vicious. I care, I can do something, but I won't because of the cost. We fall in sloth because we fail in love. Love requires great efforts. Make no mistake. It is not nice-sounding words or sentiments. If you love somebody, you show it. Whether you want to or not, the things you care about, you do something about. So when we fail, when we fail in this area, we are showing, we are revealing in our own life a lack of love. It says, God so loved the world that he... It doesn't say, he wrote on the moon thinking of you. It doesn't say, you know, he, he dug out in the rock bed, um, please be mine. It says that he gave his one and only son. The greatest commandment is not multiple choice, it is one. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Sloth is the outward evidence that we do not love as much as we think we do. We don't love with all of our strength. Are you loving God with all of your strength? Whatever you find to do, are you doing it with all of your heart as unto the Lord? Or are you giving the minimum effort not to get fired because you are working for men instead of God? Are you loving God with all of your heart? Many times when I talk with like other men, they'll say, Pastor, well, I'm not an emotional person. I don't believe that for a second. If tomorrow you got into work and your boss said you're fired, you wouldn't very calmly, calmly say to him, well, thank you for my tenure at this position. I look forward to my future opportunities. And say, why? You'd be filled with outrage. And I really believe as Christians we should be kind of contradictions. Because we should be, we should have a focus on, on learning from God and worshiping God with all of our mind, but we should also worship God with all of our hearts. No man, no woman should stand before a holy God with dry eyes. Amen. All of your mind. This is an often overlooked form of worship. Loving God with all of your mind. Study to show yourself a, uh, to show yourself approved. One verse that often gets, often gets taken out of context is when the disciples were before the Sanhedrin, before a court, and they were wondering how such uneducated men could answer so well. And it says, then they realized that they had been with Jesus. So many people take this to, to mean, well, education is not important. That's not at all what, that's, what they were going at with this. See, they, they thought they were uneducated. And then they realized what? That they had the best education anybody in that time had. They were disciples of a rabbi. Amen. Jesus was approved as a rabbi. He was seen as a rabbi. They were his disciples. Rabbis in training. Education is important. Studying to show yourself approved. Loving God with all of our mind is important. According to the Pew Research, um, Research Group, 12% of Americans believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Oh. <laughs> if you watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, you know how funny that is, right? Because they're asking, you know, who's Joan of Arc? They're like, Noah's wife. <laughs> you know, when I was a youth pastor, I was dumbfounded to find out how many of my teens did not know the basics of the faith or even anything that was in the Bible. I took that and it was a failing on my part. Maybe my sermons were too much about how you, how, you know, gaining friends and things like that, not, not the scriptures. I remember one of, our, one of our teenagers was telling me, she's like, did you know Cain killed Abel? I'm like, how, how didn't you know that? I was thinking, I was like, maybe... I think there's a problem in so many churches that we're so focused on entertaining kids. Now, we're not this way here. I got my children ministers in the congregation. Uh, we're not this way here. We, 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 we teach the kids the Bible. Because it's from the Bible, it's from God's Word that, we, that our faith is established. Amen. Amen. Maybe we do too much of Jesus is my superhero and not Jesus is my Savior. It's kind of funny because people know I like superheroes, so they think I like everything associated with superheroes. Don't ever devalue my Savior by making him a superhero. Come on. Right. He's not Superman. Superman's fictitious. Superman didn't save my soul. Jesus Christ did. Amen. Sometimes I look at the magical thinking of so many things, and I'm like, this is, this is so important because Jesus Christ is real. He's my Savior. Amen. As a pastor, I can't believe how many of my peers don't know basic, and I mean basic, Protestant theology. 
they get their they get their degree, they get their credentials online. Um, maybe I'm going to be stepping on a few toes here, but if you believe you're called, you should study, 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 study. We live in a culture where the average person is more and more educated. We should not have a clergy who's less and less educated, who does not pour over the word, agonize over the word. When I tell people I spend 20 hours, it is a a part-time job, just my sermon every week. I am dead serious. I am constantly, because it is God who puts the pressure on me. I am not working for you. I am working for him, and I stand before him. And for him to say, that is not at all what the scripture meant. That was your agenda. Oh, Lord, may that never be said of me. Because I endeavor to worship God with all of my mind. It would be much easier just to copy and paste somebody else's sermon and preach it to you. But I will not do that. All of your spirit. Sloth of the spirit is the most common. We are blind and deaf to our spirit's needs. To keep in step with the spirit. And our spiritual man then starves to death. It's sin's opportunity to slip in. It is why Paul said, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Sins like sloth. Our scripture today is a parable of Jesus. It's called the parable of the talents. It's a story, in this story, we have the cause of sloth. We also have the cure for sloth. And we will be going to a different teaching of Jesus Christ for the what sloth is the caricature or corruption of the cause of sloth. We, Becca read before from Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 through 30. I put on here that this doesn't count as me preaching on the parable of the talents, because I want to do that some other time, and I don't want people to say, well, you've already preached on this. It's only segmented, so it doesn't count. Anyway, <laughs> this is the parable of the talents. Parables are short stories that have few symbols. They are not allegories in which every part of it is symbolic of something else, but it is short stories to communicate a heavenly truth through an earthly means. This one is about faithfulness. The value of a talent. Now, even though our English word talent means, you know, singing, dancing, things like this, in the scripture it's talking about a measurement of gold. A talent of gold, which this parable is referring to, is not an ability to sing well, it was worth 20 years of a laborer's wage. It's a lot of money. That is a fortune. One talent is a fortune in and of itself. It's an outrageous amount to entrust to a servant. This is a story of grace, even for the disobedient servant, because he did not deserve the talent that was given the talent. The application speaks of the physical blessings God has given us, but it also speaks of the mental and spiritual blessings as well, for he has given all of us his word. We have been trusted with a wealth of blessings. Often a question that will come up when talking about hell is what will God do with the heathen who has never heard his name? Have you ever, have you ever wondered that yourself? And what would God do with somebody in another country, they've never heard the name of Jesus, would he send such a person to hell? Well, Alistair Begg, uh, Pastor Alistair Begg of Truth for Life, um, I thought he had a great explanation for this. We shouldn't be so much worried about what God will do with the heathen who's never heard the name of Jesus, as much as we should be concerned with what will God do with this heathen who has. Make no mistake, hell is hotter for those who know the truth and have rejected the truth, That's right. as opposed to those who never heard the truth. Amen. This is a sad story. The one who has received the one talent receives the fortune, but his master calls him wicked and slothful. In verse 24, we see this this servant has resentment for his master. He who also had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. Let me translate this into our modern vernacular. So I knew you were a jerk who just took things whenever he wanted to. He has resentment for his master. He describes his master as a hard man. This used to be a way of just talking about people who were terrible and mean and evil. You would talk about criminals as hard men. Outlaws as hard men. He has no love for his master. You know, Pastor Pastor R.W. Glenn said this, We are reluctant to pray, thy will be done, 
because we are secretly suspicious of the Father's intentions towards us. We don't want to pray that will be done, because I knew you were a hard man, gathering where you did not sow, and, 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 and reaping where you had not sown. We are reluctant to pray. In this we have the unfaithful servant, he resents his master. He is... He does not have fear of his master, he is fearful of his master. Sloth is an expression of the fear of fear and cowardice. The servant was afraid, so he hid what his master gave him. Do you have a blessing that God has given you that you are hiding? Maybe it's money. Money in church, it kind of gets a little like, because of mismanagement and everything. Don't really want to talk about it too much. But it's important, because Jesus said, where your money is, that's where your heart is. There's all the excuse in the world not to be faithful with our money in many different ways. Let's just talk about the church. To trust God with our tithe, but then how am I going to pay for my bills? How am I going to do the things? How am I going to, how can I honor God with this? And we will make excuses all the live long day. When it comes to telling other people about our, our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're worried because what if they don't want to have anything to do with us anymore? So it's so much easier to keep our mouth shut. I don't know who originally came up with this saying, but I think it's so good. There comes a time where you have to decide to either do what is, e- what is easy or what is right. Of course, the assumption in that is that what is easy is never right. We make excuses, we try to tell ourselves. Or how about there's something in our life, a talent, aspiration, there's something God has laid on our heart, actual talent, not a talent of gold, and we just keep that hidden. It's like, Marty McFly telling his girlfriend that what if he tries his best and they tell him he's not good enough? I can't take that kind of rejection. Well, if you decide to push past these things, then you become teachable and you can grow when you do not let fear run your life. He's not given us a spirit of fear. Verses 26 through 30. We have the master speaking to his servant. He calls him wicked and slothful. The master in Jesus' story calls this one wicked and slothful. Do you know what he called the other two? He called them faithful. That's the point of this whole story. Faithful or unfaithful. Faithful puts to work what God has given us. Unfaithful buries it in the ground. Figures at least I have it when it comes back. That's the point of the story. Don't get hung up on the amount of the increase. Oftentimes when I hear people talking about this, we'll talk about the amount of the increase. We're saying, don't don't worry if you lose stuff in the stock market. That's not the point at all. The point is, are you going to be faithful what is given you, or aren't you? It's easier to do nothing than something. No wonder the list of hell includes cowards. In verse 30, we have a description of hell from Christ of gnashing of teeth. So many of Christ's descriptions of hell include the gnashing of teeth. I used to think that this meant like in pain, or maybe you were regretting what you had done, so you're gnashing your teeth. Because we don't really gnash our teeth in our society. Maybe people grind their teeth in their sleep. It was a cultural thing. You know, it's kind of been hard, even like in the English language, we have different cultural idioms we don't use anymore, like I bite my gum at you. Was ooh, how dare you. That's in Romeo and Juliet. You know, he's like, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? He's like, I bite my thumb, sir. I do not bite my thumb at you, sir. Um, and, he, and he's trying to weasel out of a confrontation. Gnashing your teeth was a cultural thing and showed your disgust and anger at somebody. When Stephen, the first martyr, is giving his testimony for the Sanhedrin, and he tells him, which of your fathers didn't, didn't kill the prophets? Ooh. They got angry. They gnashed their teeth at them. We look at that, and um, we look at the gnashing of teeth. It's not that this person regrets. They hate the master for being just. When you read through Revelation, it says, all these things all these things keep happening, all these judgments, and says, yet they still would not repent. They just hate God all the more. Don't know who came up with this quote, but God doesn't send anyone to hell. He just honors their choice. And C.S. Lewis's book, um, The Great Divorce, 
The basic gist of it is that in hell, once a day, a bus goes from hell to heaven, and anybody in hell and anybody in hell can stay in the heaven if they want to, but they get into heaven and they are disgusted with everything they see there, and not a one of them wants to stay. Wow. That changes our perspective. You think, oh, I'm a basically a good person. You know, if God was to take somebody to hell, they would hate it because they hate they hate the Lord. When God is dealing with us about sin, a redeemed heart may be angry or sad at first, but it rejoices in what happens later. That God produces in us, as a result, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And by the end of this study, you will know that list as well as I do. It is the fruit of the Spirit. The person who is lost in their sin, they gnash their teeth. They do not learn from the experience. They They are not discipled by the experience. Disciplined by the experience, they gnash their teeth. The caricature of laziness. There's something good within you that laziness perverts into sloth. It is best exemplified in, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, through 30. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Godly rest. Godly rest that we get so detached from. Because we mistake just inactivity for rest, but it's not. It'll add to our anxieties. But a time where we can rest in Him, because God sees the weight you carry. You're here this morning, and no one knows the weight you're carrying. Not really. They might know your situation. They might know the the hard thing that you're going through, but nobody sat with you when those tears fell. But Jesus did. Nobody was with you the first time it happened and the hundredth time it happened. Nobody understands so well the ache in your heart to try to express to somebody. It's not just this, but it's a lifetime of discipline. It's a lifetime of it's a lifetime of wounds. But Jesus has. He knows your heart. One of the names of God is El Roihi, the God who sees me. There are times when God tells us to stop whining and get up and do something. He did that with Joshua. They get, they they win at Jericho, they lose at Ai, and Joshua is on his face, he is crying out to the Lord, and God tells him, Get up. I just I love that part. He said, Get up. I kind of put some emphasis in there because God's like, okay, this didn't fall out of the sky. There's sin in the camp. Sometimes as a pastor, God kind of gives me that kind of boldness to tell somebody, stop whining, stop crying, and start being faithful with what you have. I don't care what happened in the past. You're being disobedient now. Start being obedient. Sometimes God leads me that way, but oftentimes it's more like Elijah. After... God answers with fire. He enters into a time of just great sorrow. And he just wants to sleep. He just wants to die, he says. And God sends him, God sends him rest. There are times where, he, where God sends him rest and he has birds bringing him food. One of the most interesting times, the next series is going to be on Elijah, by the way. But God sends him, you know, just uh, these ravens that bring him food. I like to think that they have like a McDonald's bag in their beak. <laughs> because the alternate alternative is that they're probably like regurgitating food for him. Better than death, right? But uh, so I like to think it's McDonald's that they're bringing, which is slightly above that. Um, that wasn't a slight, that was just a joke. Anyway, rest is from God. It's a commandment from God to rest in Him, to be still and know that He is God. To cast all of our cares on Him, for He cares for us. We do not have a high priest who does not know our weakness, who does not know what we are going through. He says, come to Him. Sloth is when we are weary and heavy laden, but we turn to everything besides our comforter to find rest. It is empty wells. And we say um, that say that they are rest, but we never get any better. In the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments happened after slavery in Egypt, and one of the Ten Commandments is a Sabbath day's rest. I do like how one of the commandments is like rest, because some of us we need to hear that, right? 
You have to rest. You better rest. But you know what's amazing about that law? Is it proves to the, to the Israelite people you are free. Because you know who can't have a Sabbath day rest? A slave. You rest and you work according to your master's whims. A free person can have a Sabbath day's rest. How crazy it for us who are former slaves to sin to continue to act as slaves to sin when we are free. It's insane to continue as slaves when you have been freed. What is the cure to slothfulness? It is faithfulness. What does the master say about the other two servants? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of your master. The cure to sloth is to remember your reward, that you are, that what you do in this life echoes in eternity, that you are doing it as to the Lord to get heavenly treasures instead of earthly treasures. The context of this parable tells us everything. It is sandwiched between two other parables. One is of the ten virgins, the other is of sheep and the goats. In the parable of the ten virgins, the point is to be watchful. In the sheep and the goats, it's that whatever we've done to the least of these, we have done to Jesus Christ himself. And in the parable of the talents, it's to be faithful, because being faithful accomplishes both. Being faithful accomplishes both. One exercise I have done with people, whether it's Celebrate Recovery or teenagers or different groups I've been in, is I have, and I want to have you do this today, but I have them write down all the hours in their week. Write down all the hours in your week, then write all of your activities in your week, the best you can remember. Now assign a certain amount of hours you spend a week doing that activity. And if I have time, if I'm doing this maybe in a classroom setting, I'll go around, I'll, I will help people, because some people, they're like, um, they'll put like sleep in there, it's like, you don't have to worry about sleep, okay? Well, maybe you have to worry about sleep if you don't sleep enough, but, um, but you know, put these different things down, and then I encourage them, be, be really honest, be really honest, how much time do you spend on video games, entertainment, all these things? Put that down there, and then I say, okay, they, all right, you have all, your, you have all your numbers, now I want you to list the top three, just your hours, cold. Put that down. And then I tell them, those top three, that is what you value. Don't tell me anything else. Don't tell me my, my most important relationships, my, my relationship with Jesus Christ, when you're never talking with him, you're never reading his word. It's just a lie. It's a lie we tell ourselves. We say, my family's most important, but if your family's pretty low down on that list, and if you don't, let us say, if you don't like what you see on that list, change. Change. It sounds simple, but it's not. It's actually impossible. Without God, it's impossible. What you need is God. What you, what you need is God to do the increased to increase your love. You sow to please the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit. Then you you rationally, objectively look at your progress, and you should be able to see progress towards holiness. Don't get me wrong. It is not the act of the will. It's about being obedient. And God does such a work in your life. I've talked about this. This is something I still do. I just don't tell people about it. I guess I am now. But in high school, one of the things I did at the start of the school year, I would, I would think about something I wanted to be said of me. Like one year is I wanted people to know I'm a good friend. So I wouldn't go around telling people, aren't I a good friend? Look at these things I'm doing for you. I wouldn't have been put down on a thing. Okay, so Jim, th today is Jim's day, and you're going to make sure to help him with his books or anything like that. What I would say was, I pray, I honestly pray, God, do such a work in me that people will see that I'm a good friend. Because if I have to draw it out of you, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, fishing for compliments, that doesn't mean anything. But if God can do such a work in me, change my heart in such a way that you can see it, God gets the glory right. Amen. In our life, when it comes to sloth, when it comes to any of these sins, we pray for God to do such a work in us that the fruit of the Spirit is evidence. Because that is what fruit is. Is the evidence of what is happening inside. When I started this series, when I was starting talking about this series with my wife, Becca, um, I was talking about different things. I was saying, I think God's leading me to preach on the seven deadly sins. Which, you know, that doesn't get preached about a lot today. Sin. It's not very popular. But I was like, you know, God's really kind of leading me to preach on sin. 
Becca's like, and so I'm, I'm talking about this, and I'm like, no, I'm not sure. Becca's like, you should really do that. And she's like, yeah, I've got a testimony when it comes to sloth. I was like, well, are you sure? Because it takes a lot of courage to come up here and tell you about this whole series. I've been telling you about all the ways I've failed in this. Ammunition for you to use if you're ever angry with me. Hopefully you won't. But to be vulnerable. But Becca's like, yeah, yeah, I want to, because God has done such a work in my life in this area. So Becca, if you'd come up, that has a testimony in this regard. I can get up, but I can stand here and talk for hours about our youth. when it comes to sin it's just so difficult to get up from your peers and friends and people that you love and that you want to see you as good and share and say I am not good I am only here because of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ I am not good I have never been good. Pastor Jason did not make me do this. Like he said, I came up to him and when I heard he was going to be talking about the seven deadly sins and I said, I want to share because God has done miraculous things in my life in this area. So hopefully I won't cry um, and if I do, that's why I have the Kleenexes here. Um, I felt like changing my mind. I will tell you, this week was not easy. I have been struggling with this all week. And when I say struggling with this, I mean I've been struggling with laziness this entire week. This was not an easy week. But God has also been transforming and changing my heart as I've been studying His Word. So here we go. Lord Jesus, I give you this time that I'm speaking and sharing about the glory, what you're doing in my life. God, I thank you for taking my sin of laziness and nailing it to your cross. I am no longer lazy because, God, you have set me free. That is no longer my identity or who I am. God, I am your child, and you have created in me something new. So God, as I share what you've done, may you put the words and remembrance and the things in my mouth to say. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for being with me and guiding me and being faithful all these years. Amen. Well, all my life I've been called slow. Um, people have said things like, oh, she just likes to stop and smell the roses. Becca, hurry up, we're going to be late, late. I've even had friends and family leave me behind because I haven't been on time. In college, I helped some friends study for anatomy exam by being their reminder for the smooth muscle. Becca is slow like a smooth muscle. My roommate used to set my clocks ahead in an attempt to help me be on time for classes. It didn't work. I figured it out. <laughs> and then I was even later. So um, when I wasn't, I, I wasn't always late. Like, I, I wasn't always late. But I was late so often that my college friends had a saying, when someone didn't show up on time, uh, they must be on back at time. So <laughs> had a time named after me. My favorite animal growing up was a cheetah. But the animal that I probably relate to the most is the sloth, like on the video. And while these are humorous examples of things in my life, and I can, I can laugh at them now. I totally laugh at them now. Thanks, I'm up for that. Um, this sin in my life has not been something that I can laugh at. All my life I've been haunted and frustrated by being late, too slow, not aware of time, 
procrastination, not wanting to work, and giving up on things before, forgive, for, before finishing them. The root of all this stemmed out of the sin of laziness. I could stand before you today and call it for what it is. It's sin. But I didn't always see it like that. I wrapped my identity around laziness. I thought that's who I was. So whenever someone attacked laziness or attacked something in myself that I saw as a part of me, I felt like they were attacking me. I thought they were hating on me. And I would get very defensive. I would have excuses ready and justifications for my actions. Well, I may not be on time, but at least I care for others. I spent hours with this other person talking with them. Well, maybe I was late for that other activity, but at least I was kind to this person. I'm just a perfectionist. If it's not perfect, I'm not going to submit shoddy work. Well, I take after my family. It's an elk trait. It's just who I am. I wore it proudly like a badge. You know that verse um, in Proverbs where the, the sluggard can justify their, their stuff? That was me. I could justify myself. I thought I was wiser in my own eyes. So there were many times where I found myself being proud of this part of me, being lazy, having no desire to work. But then it was harder for me to separate what was good and what was bad about this, these attributes. I knew something was wrong, so sometimes I would work harder. I would just plan to be better. I would try harder. I was going to plan everything out in the week, have this list of everything I needed to do, and I was going to get up early, and I was going to go to bed earlier, and I was going to punish myself if I didn't get it, things done on time. I'll skip out on a family thing because I procrastinated this other thing that I needed to get done, and I would just try harder. <laughs> but on my own, I couldn't do it. I, I found my own actions and the ideas that I would put in place, they just didn't work. Maybe they worked for a time, but I'd just revert right back to it. I was plagued by the fear, like Pastor Jason talked about, the spiritual aspect of laziness. What if I can't finish the race that God started me on? What if I stop working out my salvation with fear and trembling? What if I give up my faith if it becomes difficult? I do this with everything else. I was a mess inside. And not many saw it. But God did. God sees. I can see now looking back on my life how much he's been challenging me in this area for a long time. Whispering truth into the lies that I had believed. That college professor that called Pastor Jason a sluggard when he missed class. I loved that class on Proverbs. Because it showed me what a sluggard was. That person putting their hand in the dish and not taking it out to feed themselves. The one who thought they were wiser than everyone else because they had all, look at me, I've got the easy road. I'm taking it, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about life because I'm not doing anything. Well, Proverbs taught me what laziness was, that it was a sin. I could see how I was the sluggard, how I was the one, not Pastor Jason, he missed a class, but he wasn't the sluggard. I was the sluggard. Pastor Jason's sermon on the seven deadly sins at our youth group at Journey Church was one of the things that really kind of brought it out. And it really kind of was like, oh, I need to start dealing with this. I'm not really doing anything with it. But what was really the turning point for me was when we when I started going to celebrate recovery. I went to celebrate recovery because I was in such despair and pain because of finding out we couldn't have children. 
I needed a safe place to talk about that pain, and our church's CR group felt like the best place at that time. But little did I know that God was actually going to use Celebrate Recovery to help me come out of denial of the sin of laziness. It was here that I realized I'd been in denial my entire life. I'd been identifying with this sin and calling it me. Instead of seeing it for what it was, it was a sin. I'm a sinner. I am someone who falls into the trap that every human being on this world has fallen into since the beginning of time. That we want what we want. We don't want what God wants. And so I picked that fruit of laziness and I held on to it so tightly in my hands and I said, this is mine and this is me. And God, you can't take it away. Because who will I be if you do? I lost my identity in the sin that I was in. And I had no idea who I could be. And I was afraid. I was terrified of what I would change into and what I would be. Well, thank God he didn't just leave me there knowing about my sin and said, well, deal with it. He helped me. I began praying, God, please help me out of this laziness. I don't want to be lazy anymore. I don't want this sin in my life. I know you've changed me. I know you are changing me. But how do I do this? Well, be careful what you pray for. Because sometimes God answers. And when he does, it's not always what we think it's going to be. Pastor Jason talked about making a list of what your priorities are and putting them in order and how many hours a day do you spend on them. Well, God woke me up one night and he had to talk about that with me. He woke me up early in the morning and I very vividly felt him impress on my heart that I needed to give up watching TV and playing video games. I needed to stop or I was going to die. And the thing that scared me about what God was telling me wasn't that he said I was going to die, but that I didn't care. I didn't care that I could die if I kept on in my sin. I didn't care. I didn't care if God struck me dead at that moment because... I had gotten so much into that attitude of laziness where I was like that sluggard who had put his hand in the dish and said, I don't care if I bring it up to my face to eat. And that's what scared me. Because I knew God held, held my days in his hands. I wasn't that. I wasn't afraid of dying. But I was afraid of my attitude. I was afraid of the lack of care, the lack of passion that was empty and not in my heart. There was just apathy. So when I saw that and God started waking me up, I was like, Lord, I need your help. I need you to help me do this. I know in and of myself I can't. I can't. Physically make myself get up earlier. I, I have trouble with that, but it's become part of me. So I need your Holy Spirit to tell me and guide me. And he did. He started providing ways for me to come out of this sin. It was a struggle, and for a long time I did it. I did not watch any TV. I did not play video games. And I started finding myself using that time for God. God allowed me to have a year where, while I worked some, I spent most of it studying and praying and seeking His face. I would sometimes spend two hours reading His Word and praying. And I knew that this season, that, that season and moment in time would not last forever, that it was just a season that God was using to teach me. But it allowed me 
to do what Pastor Jason was talking about. It allowed me to see what laziness is a perversion of. Rest. Resting in God and trusting in Him. Allowing Him to govern my day. Allowing Him to take every activity that I had in that day and say, Lord, it's yours. Here you go. I began praying a prayer. Lord, today is your day. I give it to you for your glory so that you can work in me and through me. And along with that prayer and waking up in the morning and every day saying, God, today this is your day. Please help me prioritize it the way you want me to. It allowed me to rest in Him. It allowed me to see that whether I do something or don't do something, as long as I'm following Him, as long as I'm looking at Him, as long as I'm in relationship with Him, it doesn't matter. But, God does have work for me to do. There was an article on JustDisciple.com by Avery Remiller. It's called, Is It a Sin to be Lazy? It is a sin to be lazy, she answers. Laziness causes people to stop growing. Being lazy is refusing to obey God and refusing to do everything for His glory. It causes people to miss out on relying on the Holy Spirit for rest, even in the hardest and craziest of times. That's what I was missing when I allowed the sin of laziness to rule my life. I was allowing myself to be ruled by what I thought was rest. That's what lazy people, they're seeking after, is rest, right? They're seeking after rest. They want to listen. And that's what God showed me, that if I trust, if I rely on Him, He'll provide the rest. I just need to be obedient, and I just need to rely on Him. So thank you very much for staying longer and listening. Thank you very much, Becca. Appreciate that. Worship team, if you'd come up at this time as well. Appreciate you having the courage to share that. We'll be ending our service. One last song of worship, and then I'll be closing the benediction. There's different areas of being lazy, different areas of being slothful. One is the physical, but there's other areas too. We're worshiping God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our minds. Thing that God has prepared for us, these good works for us to walk in before the foundation of the world. We don't miss any opportunity. 